We are going to be continuing uh, in the study of the book of Galatians that Pastor John's been going through the last several weeks. Uh, we're in week five, um, but we're also in Gen- or Galatians chapter four. So uh, you guys know how that typically goes. Those of you who are usually here on, on a weekly basis, um, there, there may be six chapters in the book of Galatians, but that doesn't mean we're going to get it done in six weeks. Uh, but we are in Galatians chapter 4 this morning, uh, and uh, so we, basically what we've been going over is we've been discovering uh, the power and the freedom that comes in God's one true gospel. That's what we've been really diving into as we've been going through the book of Galatians. Um, and this week what we're going to be talking about is how through that, that one true gospel, through what we see in Galatians chapter 4, how we are in free indeed. So as I said, we've, uh, we've gone through the book of Galatians, the first three chapters over the last four weeks. Uh, we've learned, again, that there's one true gospel. And we've also seen, uh, especially last week, we saw Paul go into detail uh, in the defense of that gospel, defending that gospel and kind of warning the Galatians of, to, to not pay attention to any false gospels that they had been, te- or been being taught. Uh, there were people that were kind of coming in that were uh, evident and, and present within that church who were starting to uh, teach different things about the gospel, what they were doing. We had the Judaizers who were trying to tie a lot of the Jewish uh, religion and tradition to the gospel itself. And Paul was really trying to get them back focused on what the truth is, what the one true gospel is, and to uh, not be swayed by those false teachers. Um, as we've been going through that, and we've seen over the last several weeks, we've seen that the cross is complete. And when we say that the cross is complete, we're talking about the gift of salvation and what that salvation is. And, and basically saying and understanding that when we know the cross is complete, that it's just Jesus dying on the cross for our sins and us putting our faith and trust in him, that's it. That's the, that's the gospel. Nothing else added to it. And, and that's what we've been kind of looking at, especially last week, about how we shouldn't be adding anything to the gospel. Because once we start adding stipulations to the gospel, adding these extra things that you have to do on top of just faith in Christ... Now we start to take the attention away and start to really kind of attack the whole idea of grace, right? Now, what is grace? Well, we understand that the gospel is God's grace on display, and we know that grace is defined as favor that is undeserved. So if it's favor that's undeserved, meaning we can't do anything to earn it, then if we start saying that we have to do these certain things on top of putting our faith in Christ, now we're starting to say, okay, I can kind of earn my salvation. And that's taking away the whole idea of God's grace being evident in the gospel. And so that's why we say that the gospel plus nothing, or the gospel is Jesus plus nothing else. It's it's simply Jesus. All right. And so as we've been going over the last several weeks, uh, going through this uh, series in Galatians on Sunday mornings, uh, the last several Wednesdays, uh, with the, the, the students, we've been going through a lesson series about how the Bible is the ultimate source of truth. And yes, you can find truth and things throughout the world in, in different areas, but the Bible is the ultimate source of truth. And if there's anything that we see in the world around us that goes against what we see in the Bible, then we know that it is not truth because as we've been going through, we've been looking at wh- how we can trust the Bible, why we can believe what we read is true. We, we've looked at how the Bible has sustained over thousands of years. And it's really been cool over the last several weeks on Wednesday nights with the students to be able to go through that and then really see the parallels on Sunday mornings as we've been going through and talking about that there's only one true gospel and that we shouldn't stray away from that at all. So as I said, we're going to be continuing on this morning in Galatians chapter 4. So if you want to go there, Galatians chapter 4, and if you want to use one of the Bibles that are provided in the pews, uh, go to page 821. Page 821 is where we're going to be in Galatians chapter 4. 
And we are going to be going through the whole chapter uh, throughout this morning. We're not going to read it all in one setting, uh, but we are going to go through it and, and, and finish the chapter this morning, God willing. So uh, starting in Galatians chapter 4, we're going to read the first two chapters, uh, or the first two verses, I'm sorry, right now. It says, Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. So before we get into the real meat of the text here, um, we see Paul again using this image, this picture of a tutor or a teacher with a young child. Okay, we see him using this again. We saw it uh, in last week's, or I'm sorry, in Galatians chapter 3, we saw him using that there. And it's really important to uh, kind of understand what the bigger application of this uh, example of a tutor and a child is. And we're going to see kind of as we go throughout this morning, we're going to see how we can kind of relate to that child with a tutor. Um, And we're going to see why it is that Paul is kind of using this imagery. All right, so let's continue on there in Galatians chapter 4 in verse 3. It says, even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore, thou art no more a servant but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ." Howbeit then, when we, knew, when we knew not God, ye did service unto them which by nature are no gods. But now, after that ye have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements whereunto ye, ye desire again to be in bondage? Ye observe days and months and times and years. So, uh, we're going to look at three different uh, really kind of points to pull out of this, this chapter this morning. And the first that we're going to look at is Paul's plea for the church. And that's what we just right here as we, we went through verses 3 through 10. We see Paul's plea to the church. And really the, the, the first thing that we kind of see him pleading to the church is don't go back. All right, don't go back. His desire for these churches is that they would not regress in their spiritual development. And that's really what was happening as they were uh, really kind of listening to these, these false teachers. They were listening to uh, these, these other things that they were adding to the gospel being heard from the Judaizers. Uh, that's really what was kind of happening is they were really regressing in their spiritual development. So it's not that they were even just stagnant in their spiritual growth. Instead, they were actually going backwards. So Paul really has kind of a, an issue on his hands here of trying to get them back on track because it's almost as if he has to kind of remind them of really what the gospel is. Because again, they're not just, you know, lukewarm. They're not just stagnant. They're not just doing nothing and and being complacent. Instead, they're actually regressing in their spiritual growth. They're going back. And that's why he's having to, again, use this idea of a tutor and a child. And as we read through that passage there, we see the word elements being used. He says that about going back in verse 4. He says... There was a time, time was come when God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. <clears throat> and so we see as he's going through this passage, as he's bringing up this, this term of elements. Now, if we were to break, break down this actual word elements that's being used here and go back into the original language of the text, which would be Greek, uh, we see that basically the word that's being used here could also be translated as the basic first principles. Okay, Uh, basic first principles where the rest arises. So if we go a little deeper into this, we get the Greek word for walking. That's what we, so the word that he's using here for elements can really also kind of be translated to the idea of walking. So if you want to kind of 
picture it a different way to understand, okay, why is he talking about you're going back to the elements, going back to the idea of walking. Uh, He's already talking about children and a tutor. So think of it this way, when a child is learning to walk, okay, it requires a lot of learning, a lot of basic principles. They're trying to figure out how they balance and everything like that. They're they're trying to figure out how to use their feet, how to do all these things at the same time. For us, we kind of, at, at this point in our lives, Uh, it's really just kind of, we don't even think about it. We're not telling ourselves in our head, all right, left foot, right foot. We're not doing that. It's become second nature to us because when we were younger, when we were babies, we were learning how to do that, but we were learning the basic principles and kind of training ourselves that way. And that's what he means here when he's talking about the basic elements of you're going back to these these just simplistic, uh, really young, childish kind of ways when you're going back to what the Judaizers are talking about. And we're going to see what we mean by that, Uh, but that's really what he's talking about. Um, To even further understand it, Warren Worsby says, uh, when the Judaizers led the Galatians back into legalism, they were leading them not only into religious bondage, but also into moral and spiritual infancy and immaturity. So again, think about that. It's not just as simple as being a slave to uh, the idea of legalism, the idea of going through all these rules and, and trying to check all these boxes. There is an aspect of that, but on top of that, they're, they're in, he was leading them to moral and spiritual infancy, really kind of taking them back to really the basics of, of this idea of uh, following after God. So uh, now it's important to remember that the believers, they needed to grow in Christ and not go backwards. That's obvious, right? Um, but we also see Paul, he's talking about that here in Galatians, but this also brings up a passage where he kind of talks about the same idea, and that's when he's talking to the Corinthians about uh, eating milk versus meat, right? If he says, at first I gave you milk because you weren't ready for meat. He was talking about that they were spiritually immature, they were spiritual infants, basically, so he had to kind of give to them what they were able to take, and as they grew, as they matured, then they were able to kind of take the meat of what it means to be a follower of Christ. Well, what's happening here is the, the, the church in Gal- of the Galatians, they're, they're listening to these false teachers, they're listening and, and going under the teachings of these Judaizers, they're kind of going back to the, the state of where they needed the milk. And they're, they're forgetting the meat and they're ignoring all these things that Paul taught them. And they're going back and trusting these false teachers and what, what they have to say to them. So first of all, we, we see that Paul, he's pleading to the church to not go back. But also we see that he's telling them to not forget what God has done. All right, he's telling them not to forget what God has done in their lives, what he has done for them uh, personally, but also as a whole. Uh, and it's really cool how how this is kind of uh, matching up with uh, what we talked about yesterday at prayer breakfast. Um, if you weren't able to be there with us, uh, you missed out on a great time. Uh, and we do have one more before we break for summer. So there's a little plug or a little advertisement for guys who, who'd like to come to prayer breakfast. We have one more. It'll be the first Saturday of May at 8 o'clock. But that's always a great time. We were out here yesterday, had some good food. Um, but I was able to share the devotion. And uh, the passage that we looked at was Psalm chapter 3. And uh, it, it, there wasn't any real reason why I chose that. But in, what happened was I was going through some old notebooks that I had, and I found one from when I was in college. And there was, uh, I guess, a little devotional that I had from when I was leading a Bible study when I was in college, and it was about Psalm, Psalm chapter 3. And what's going on there is that's when David, he's fleeing, he's on the run from his son Absalom, and he's being chased by him and his army, and everything is stacked against him. The people around him told him that he doesn't stand a chance against these odds, even with, God's, with God on his side. 
but in, in the midst of all that, David, he's reminding himself of what God has done for him. The fact that he was there with him, uh, even in just when it was just him and God. God was always there for him. God always sustained him. So it's really cool to kind of see that, that that's what God laid on my heart to share yesterday with the, the men at the at prayer breakfast. And we also see Paul talking to the Galatians about that here. He's pleading with them to not forget what God has done. So if we want to go back, we're going to start in verse uh, 4 again, read verses 4 through 7, just as a reminder. It says, But when the, fullness, <clears throat> when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the Spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore, wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. So now this idea, what he basically was giving right here was just another reminder, another kind of snapshot of what the gospel is. And he's, again, reminding them while he's telling them, listen, you can't go away from what I taught you before. Let me remind you about what I taught you before. But also block out what these Judaizers, what these people are, are teaching you because it goes against the gospel that we shared or that I, that I was shared with you when I was with you. And so we see him talking about this, and this is also kind of something that we looked at last Christmas, right? The, the sermon series that Pastor John went through last Christmas, we were able to look at a, really a good summary of the gospel and how when Christ came and was born on this earth, how that plays directly into the gospel, right? Because he was sent, he was born of a woman, and that's, that's the gospel, right? Because we know as we read through the Old Testament, we read about all the prophecy that told about the Messiah. We knew that he was going to be born of a virgin, and we're able to see that as we see him, uh, the story of his birth, uh, spelled out in the Gospels. And, but that was, that was something that we were able to kind of go through and be reminded of last Christmas. And it might seem kind of weird. Well, we think of the Gospel as, you know, focused on Easter, right? Well, Easter is when he died on the cross, when he rose again. Yes, that's, that's very important to the Gospel, but he couldn't have done that if he didn't come to the earth. So that's one kind of way to understand that the gospel isn't everything. As we, if we were to read through the, the whole Bible and, and you go through from start to finish, you're going to see evidence of Christ. You're going to see evidence of a Messiah, of the gospel. And really, in every story, we're going to see the characteristic of God in the gospel shining through all the stories throughout the entire book of the Bible. Um, so that, again, verses 4 through 7 is something that we kind of went over this last Christmas. Uh, again, really just a powerful summary of the gospel. But we see in those verses that Christ, he came under the law to fulfill the law, in order to deliver us from the law. So as we read through that, we see that we're now sons and daughters of God. And he says that, he says that he came to fulfill the law. It says, wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. That's an amazing thing to think about. That's an amazing verse to, to kind of look at, highlight, underline if you want. That's an amazing thing to think about because we can call ourselves sons and daughters of God. If we've put our faith and trust in Christ and what he did on the cross for us, we can call ourselves sons and daughters of God. And that's something that, you know, we, we sing a lot about in church. We talk about, you know, there's bumper stickers, all those things. It's all great. But I think a lot of times we just, we say it, we sing it, we look at it, whatever it is, and we just kind of brush right past how amazing that is and the weight of what that means to say, I am a son of God or I am a daughter of God. It's just an amazing thing to kind of think about. And we could, we could talk about how we're sons and daughters of God all morning and we wouldn't want to leave, right? We wouldn't want to leave and, and, and go away from being here together and praising God, the fact that we can call ourselves sons and daughters of God. Now in verse 8, uh, I want to say, we see where it says, How be it then, when ye knew not God, ye did service unto them which by nature are no gods. 
So what's, what Paul's saying is here that the believers, they're going away from God, and now they're kind of going back to what they were doing before they knew God. The believers are reminded that they had, what they had before Christ was not better, but worse. In fact, they worship gods that were no gods at all. That's what he says there in verse 8. Ye did service unto them, which by nature are no gods. So, now having experienced the powerful new birth in Christ, why would they ever want to go back to the basic simple elements? Okay, and that's what, again, we're bringing up that idea of elements. The first steps, the child being tutored. Okay, that's what we're, we're, we're really trying to focus in on what that means of going back to these basic elements. Because, again, the Judaizers, they were taking the Jewish faith, the Jewish traditions, and applying that to the gospel. And we just saw that Christ came to fulfill the law so that we no longer, so that he can then deliver us from the law. So why would they want to then add the law back to the gospel of saying, yes, put your faith and trust in him, but also do all these different things? And we're going to understand as we go throughout this morning that that doesn't mean that we completely throw away the law, right? I think Pastor John talked about it last week. It's important to have these things. It's important to have the law and the Old Testament because we're able to look at, that, at the law that God gave. We're able to look at the Old Testament and see that we need Christ. If we get rid of the law and throw that out, then we can look at ourselves and be like, I'm all right. You know, I'm, I'm a pretty good person. I don't really need a Savior. But when we look at the law and what God's standard is, that's how we know that we need a Savior. So without the law, we don't know that we, or we can't see that we need a Savior. So yes, it's important to hold on to the law and remember it and, and, and hold on to it. But when we start applying that and saying, you need to do this, you need to follow after Christ in, in, in salvation, put your faith and trust in him, but you also need to do these things. And if you don't, then you're not truly saved. And a lot of times in uh, you know, we've already used the term legalism this morning. It's not really spelled out and said in so many words. If you don't do this, you're not really saved. But a lot of times you can ask uh, people who kind of grew up in churches like that. They said that it felt like it. That's how they kind of, it seemed as though that's how it was. If, if you didn't dress a certain way, if you didn't do a certain thing like this, then are you really a follower of God? Okay. And so, but understanding that they've already experienced Christ, they've already gotten to know the one true God, so why would they want to go back into bondage? Why would they want to go back to these old ways that they had? And Paul is really connecting the idolatry of their Gentile past, okay? Because we have the Judaizers coming in teaching these Gentiles about the Jewish faith. He's connecting the idolatry of the Gentile past of the Galatians with this false teaching from the Judaizers. And really, whenever we preach another gospel, no matter what it is that you call it, no matter how you present it or how you um, really how you wrap it up, the fact is it's, it's idolatry because it's something that is different than the gospel that we read. It's something different than the gospel that Paul taught to the Galatians. And we know that idolatry is sin, right? How do we know that? Again, from the law. So that's, how, that's why it's important to hold on to the law to, to be able to look at and understand that we need a Savior. But this idea of idolatry, he's, he's comparing what they lived before, worshiping these gods that weren't gods at all, being slaves to them, you know, basing their whole lives around that. And now they've experienced the one true God. They've experienced that true freedom that we're talking about that comes in salvation through Christ. But they're still wanting to go back to their old ways because they're hearing these, these new things that they're hearing from the Judaizers. be like, Okay, I guess that sounds good. That sounds right. These guys are saying it. I, I guess that's what we should be doing. But really, again, it just boils down to idolatry. And it's easy for us to look at the people that Paul's writing to in this church of the Galatians and see that what they're doing is wrong. But I think that this applies to more than just the distorting of the gospel, right? We know 
again, I'm sure most of us have heard idolatry isn't just worshiping a physical idol. It's elevating anything in our lives, whether it be a hobby, a person, whatever it is, elevating anything in our lives above God. If anything in our lives has more priority in our life than God, then that thing is now our, our idol. And so, again, it's easy for us to kind of look and see, yeah, you guys are going against the gospel. You're worshiping something other than the truth of what the gospel is. You're worshiping something other than the one true God. That's idolatry. But we do it so many times ourselves. So why would we continue to allow ourselves to go back to these things that maybe that's what we would try and find our happiness or our joy in before Christ, whether that's a hobby or finances, whatever it is. That, that used to bring us joy and happiness before we had Christ, but again, that joy and that happiness is fleeting. And so why would we go back to that when we've experienced that true joy, that true happiness, that true freedom that comes in Christ? And that's what the, the Galatians are dealing with here, just a little bit differently than what we might be doing. But at the same time, you know, I can say confidently that our church, we believe in the true gospel. Uh, we do everything in our ability to make sure that we are taking the gospel to the community around us, the world around us, through our missionaries and supporting them. And we don't distort the gospel like a lot of churches today are, okay? A lot of churches, you know, they, they really try and focus a lot more on grace and focus grace, grace, grace. And so now because we have grace through God, well, it's okay if you want to do these things that, you know, we're not supposed to do. But Paul says himself, right? He says in Romans, should we sin that grace may abound? And he said, God forbid. And that's one thing that a lot of churches are doing now is they're, they're kind of preaching and super focusing on the idea of grace and saying, well, it's okay if you want to do this on the side because you've already been forgiven. Paul says that that's the complete opposite of what we should be doing. And then you have the other end of the spectrum, which is what we talked about already this morning, legalism, where you're adding all these other different stipulations. If you don't dress a certain way, if you don't have a certain type of music, then you're not really following through with what the true gospel is. All right? And that's what they're kind of dealing here, the Galatians are dealing with. And so we've seen Paul's plea to the church, and that leads to the next portion of the passage that we're going to break down, and that's his concern for the church. So Paul's concern for the church. So let's continue reading in Galatians chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 11. It says, I am afraid of you, lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. Brethren, I beseech you, be as I am, for I am as ye are. Ye have not injured me at all. Ye know how through infirmity of the flesh I preached the gospel unto you at the first. And my temptation which was in my flesh ye despised not, nor rejected, but received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus." Where is then the blessedness ye spake of? For I bear you record that if it had been possible, ye would have plucked out your own eyes and have been given and have given them to me. Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? They zealously affect you, but not well. Yea, they would exclude you that ye might affect them. But it is good to be zealously affected always in a good thing. And not only when I am present with you, my little children, of whom I travail in birth again until Christ to be formed in you, I desire to be present with you now and to change my voice, for I stand in doubt of you. So there's a lot going on here, and this is really where Paul is really kind of trying to drive the message home of basically what they're allowing to happen in their church. So he's expressing his concern for the church uh, directly to them. And now this, you know, this is something... Uh, you might say that he's trying to make them feel guilty, but really he's really laying out before them the truth. He's saying, this is how it was when I came and, and shared the gospel with you before, and now you're going away from the gospel that, we sh that I taught you before, and you're basically turning your back on God. You're going to your old ways. 
And what Paul is asking here, what his concern is, was, was my time with them wasted? He's saying, was my time with you a waste of time? We see in this passage that Paul writes that he's afraid for them. He's bestowed labor upon them, or has he bestowed labor upon them in vain? He's afraid because there is only one true gospel, and if they do, know, do not know Christ, they will be separated from God for eternity. So again, he's not trying to guilt them into saying, all right, fine, Paul, we'll listen to you. We're not going to listen to these guys anymore. He's, the reason he's doing this, he's laying the truth out before them because he truly cares about them. He knows that there's one true gospel, and he knows that they're deviating away from it, and that if they're, if they're not following and trusting in that true gospel, God's gospel, then they're going to be separated from God for eternity. So now before we go on, I want to, to point out this passage when he says that he fears for them, that he's afraid that what he, the time he spent with them was wasted. We're going to look at uh, three different versions, or three different, I'm sorry, Bible translations of this verse to get uh, a more rounded understanding of what he's pleading to them and what his concern is. The NIV says, I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. The New Living Translation says, I fear for you, perhaps all my hard work with you was for nothing. And the ESV says, I am afraid I have labored, labored over you in vain. Now these, again, he's not just trying to guilt them. He's not just trying to make them feel sorry uh, for what they're doing. These aren't cold words of a man that doesn't care. In fact, these are words coming from Paul, somebody who loves this church and wants them to understand the truth of the gospel and not deviate from what he taught them before. And so this is, these are people who mean something to him. He cares about them. Um, one way that we can see and, and understand how much he cared about them is that Paul wrote this letter himself. Now, there, there were times, you know, in Paul's letters, he had somebody kind of transcribing it for him. Uh, but if we were to read it at, in the, the end of the chapter, he's referencing about how he wrote this letter physically himself. So he took the time to send a handwritten letter. Now, as somebody who works with teenagers, the idea of writing a handwritten letter is a complete foreign concept, Right. They're all about sending that information through a text or calling on a phone. And so the idea of texting versus calling on a phone versus sending a letter, there's a lot of, a lot of different things that kind of fall in that spectrum. So texting, that's, that's just how they do it all the time, right? I know in my family there are, uh, I'll just say two of my three sisters, if I were to call them on the phone, they would kind of answer what, what, what? Like, what's going on? Because if I'm calling them, something must be wrong, right? Something must be up. I'm not going to say which sisters they are. Um, one of them might be here today, but, um, uh, but that's just how it is. If I were to text, it's, it's not really any kind of issue. But if I call, something's got to be up. Something's got to be wrong, okay? Um, <clears throat> but so you kind of look at, okay, he could have texted it to them. If he, if he had the technology, could have called them. But he took the time to write a handwritten letter. If somebody's sending you a handwritten letter, they're taking that time to sit down and write it out. If I were to, uh, if we were to get the, the, the teens to say, all right, tonight we're not going to be, we're, we're not going to text anybody going forward, we're not going to call anybody from now on. If we want to communicate with each other, we're going to write each other. They're going to be like, you kidding me? I don't care about you guys that much. I'm not going to write a letter for you. But that's, that's, again, obviously that's kind of in jest. Obviously Paul didn't have that technology back then. But the fact that he took the time to handwrite the letter himself, not transcribing it through somebody else writing it for him as he spoke the words, uh, he took the time to write this to them, t took time out of his day, whatever it was that he was doing to write this, because that's how much he cared about these people. That's how important and vital it was that he would get them back on track in understanding the, true, the truth of the gospel. So Paul was gifted uh, in that his letters contain sobering truth and direct calls to repentance and application. 
And I think we see that here. But the fact that he's writing this to them and, and being concerned about the fact that the time that he spent with them was in vain, that's where we kind of see the, the heart of a pastor shining through him, right? He wasn't just uh, an evangelist who was going around. Yes, he traveled all over the place. He is probably the greatest missionary who's ever lived. And he went from, from town to town, church to church, preaching and teaching the gospel. But we see that a third of the New Testament is written by him and his letters to churches or individuals in those churches. And so it wasn't just like a one-stop kind of, I'm going to share this with you, preach this, and I'm going to leave you guys and just, you know, hope everything works out, right? No, that's not how it was. He, he kept in contact with them. He wrote letters to them to make sure that they were staying on track. And as we read through his letters, we see kind of a variety of churches that were staying on the right path. We see a variety of churches that were really kind of wandering off. We see some that are kind of maybe, you know, in the middle. They're trying to do the right thing, but they're, they're, they're not really sure of how they need to be doing it. Paul really kind of following up with them and really caring for them to that extent is really kind of reflecting the, the heart of a pastor. And really we see that in this letter as well. We see him calling things out. We see him, you know, being direct in, in, in trying to point out where they were wrong. But we also see his heart shining through, the fact that he loved these people, that he loved this church and cared for them. But where did their love for him go? Because at one point they loved him as well, right? And that's not, again, it could be easy, I think, to read this passage and think that he's just trying to guilt them into stopping whatever it is that they're doing the way that he's saying this. But again, I think it's more so he's, he's expressing his heart, he's expressing the truth and laying it out for them to kind of realize where they are messing up. But we see that he goes into detail here. He says, brethren, I beseech you, uh, be as I am, for I am as ye are. Ye have not injured me at all. Verse 13 says, Ye know how through infirmity of the flesh I preached the gospel unto you at the first. In my temptation, which was in my flesh, ye despised not, nor rejected, but received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. Where is then the blessedness ye spake of? For I bear you record that if it had been possible, ye would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. So he's saying that when he first came to them, when he first brought the gospel to them, he had some kind of infirmity, he had some kind of illness that he was dealing with, and they did everything that they could to take care of him, right? They, this guy that they're, they're meeting for the first time, I'm sure they, they heard plenty about Paul, right, from the surrounding areas, the surrounding people in the churches, but this is the first time that he's coming to them, and they're just now meeting him, and they're doing everything that they, do, they can to take care of him. Uh, and when he first arrived, in this area, his first missionary trip, again, he had this affliction that he was dealing with, but even though he was dealing with that, they still graciously received him. And he wonders, he goes, where is that affection at now? Where's the affection that you received me with the first time? And he says, you, you cared for me so much that you would have done anything for me, even to the extent of plucking out your own eyes. And he says that in verse 15, that you would even pluck your own eyes out for me. That's how much you, you cared about me and, and you had this affection for me. So, so where has that gone? Why are they now abandoning this person that they cared so much for, obviously by how they treated him when he was there? They're ignoring the teachings that he brought them, the truth of the gospel that he brought them, and listening to these Judaizers that are kind of infiltrating and teaching this false narrative. Why is it that they are now you know, kind of turning their back on this guy that they once cared so much for? Uh, now, there could be many different reasons. Uh, we could probably go and try and figure out all the different reasons that they might have done this. But I think a lot of it kind of comes back to the fact that maybe they got distracted. They got distracted from what the gospel is. So kind of think about how, we, how that would be evident in our own lives, okay? Uh, now, even if we are coming to church every Sunday morning, you know, we're, we're coming regularly, but 
when we're here is the only time we're spending in God's word. And then throughout the week, we're just going, you know, willy-nilly. We're just doing whatever we want. Not really going to him in times of prayer. We're not spending time in the word with him. If that's how we're, if that's how we're treating God, and then as we're going throughout our day and we're faced with different temptations, then we're going to be easily distracted if we're not focusing on God. If we're not focused, spending time each and every day focusing on his word, spending time with him in his word and in prayer, it's going to be so much easier to be distracted. And when those temptations come our way, then we're, we're going to make the wrong choice. We should, now, Rick, that was for you. That, that wasn't planned. That just kind of came up. Rick's here, and uh, that was something that he always told us. Um, it's, he, somehow, when we would be you know, in, in our class, no matter what the lesson was, no matter what passage we went to, somehow it all came back to it's all about choices. And so it's kind of a joke that, you know, you know, when we see him, we say that or say something about how it's all about choices, but really it's true, right? It comes down each day we make individual choices throughout the day as they come to us, again, facing temptations or even just making a decision for our life going forward. Am I making that decision based on my own plans, my own will, or am I seeking God's will as I'm making those decisions? But if I'm spending regular time in his word, spending time praying, you know, coming together with the body, doing everything that I can to focus on God and put God first in everything, then it's going to be a lot harder to be distracted from those other things as they come my way. As they come my way, I'll be like, okay, no, that's not what God wants for me. I know that because I just spent time with him in his word this morning, and I know that this is, what, is not what he would want for me in my life. Um, so I think uh, maybe they got distracted. Maybe the fact that Paul wasn't there with them, they weren't doing everything in their ability to kind of stay on track. And so then when the Judaizers came along and they're kind of teaching them this false gospel, they're just hearing it like, okay, these people are coming in. They're kind of doing something similar to what Paul did. You know, they, they seem to know who God is. They're teaching us that this is how we need to do things. So let's just go with it. Well, if they had been focused on God and the truth of the gospel, they would have been able to recognize the false teachings immediately. Okay, that's another reason why it's important for us to have our own copy of the Bible. It's another reason why it's important for us to open our Bible as, you know, we're listening to whoever preach a sermon, because if we just are always taking that person at their word, then we aren't able to look and match it up with, okay, is what this person's saying matching up with what I read in the Bible in front of me? Okay, it's so important to have the Bible with us, to know the Bible, to spend time in it, to study it, so that when these false teachings or false narratives kind of come into our lives, we're able to recognize it immediately. And I think that's maybe part of what was happening here with the the church of the Galatians, is that they were getting distracted. So again, we see here that Paul shows his love for the church in his concern and plea for them to live and walk in Christ. He wants them to experience the true joy of the Lord. Again, he was referencing their old past when they were, <clears throat> before they, they knew the gospel, right? They were Gentiles, so they had other religions, they had other gods that they worshiped that he says they weren't even gods. So this was his kind of concern that he's expressing towards the church. And now because of this concern, he calls them to make a choice. So here again, Rick, final point comes down to making choices. Um, it comes down to, he gives them a choice that they have to make, they have to choose. So let's go ahead and read the the final verses of this chapter, starting in verse 21. It says, Tell me, ye that desire to be under the law, do ye not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondmaid, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh, but he of the free woman, woman was by promise. Which things are an allegory, for these are the two covenants, the one from the Mount Sinai, which gendereth a bondage, which is Agar. 
For this Agar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and answereth to Jerusalem, which now is, and is in bondage with her children. But Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written, Rejoice thou, barren that bearest not, that bearest not. Break forth and cry, thou that travailest not, for the desolate hath, hath many more children than she which hath an husband. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. But as then he, he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the spirit. Even so it is now. Nevertheless, what saith the scripture? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. So Paul, he's referencing, this is where he, this is kind of his final point in driving this idea home. Saying you guys are, are kind of becoming slaves to the law. You're going back to the law. Well, are you even familiar with the law? And he references the story of Abraham and his two sons that he has. Okay? The two women that are talked about here are Hagar and Sarah. And Ishmael was born of Hagar, who was the bondwoman. And we have Isaac, who was born of Sarah, who's the free woman. And we read in here about, and we, we can go into detail about the story of Abraham and, and Sarah and, and uh, Hagar. But basically what's happening is, is God made this promise to Abraham. Right? He told him that he would be the father of many nations. And Abraham, he decided that he was going to have a son with this other woman who he wasn't married with. And that went against God's promise, that went against God's will. And so that's what we're talking about here, is that Ishmael, he was the son that was born of the bondwoman, but Isaac was the, the, the one born of the free woman. And that's why he says Isaac is the son of promise, because he was the promised son that through Abraham and Isaac and their generations, they were, Abraham was the father of many nations. So as we go through this passage here, Paul's bringing up this picture. He's saying, you guys are such slaves to the law. Let me remind you of something that we know from the days of the law. Abraham had these two sons. One was a promise and one was not. And basically, if you continue to go back to the law and, and hold on to that as your basis of everything, and you're not trusting in the truth of the gospel, and you're adding these things to the gospel, then basically you're making yourself a slave to that once again. And you're just like the and trusting in Christ. And we talked about that last week. So I want to turn real quick back to Galatians chapter 3 to kind of be reminded of what Paul talked about in the previous chapter um, when it comes to this idea of being heirs of, of God. Galatians chapter 3, verses 27 through 29. says, For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ, then are, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So basically he's saying, yes, the Jews, they are physically of Abraham's seed because they came through him biologically, right? But he's saying those who are not biologically Jews, the Gentiles, he says there's, no, there's neither Jew nor Greek. He goes, that God doesn't see it as that anymore. Because if you've put your faith and trust in Christ, you've now put on Christ, and through that you are an heir. And we are now equal with Isaac as being sons of Abraham. And so that's what he's kind of trying to drive home to them, is listen, if you've accepted the truth of the gospel, you are now sons and daughters of the free woman born of that promise. We are now under that promise if we put our faith and trust in Christ. So when you're adding these things to the gospel, when you're turning away from what the Bible says the gospel is, we are now going back to it and becoming sons and daughters of the bondwoman. And so Paul poses this simple question, do you want to be free or do you want to be in bondage? And so again, he reminds them that they are the children of the promise. The believers are not from the line of bondage, but the line of blessing and freedom. 
So how do the believers overcome and outgrow these false teachers? What are they supposed to do? What is their response supposed to be if, okay, let's assume that at this point in the letter, as they're reading this, they're like, okay, Paul, he's making lots of great points. I see what he's pointing out, what we were doing wrong. I'm reminded of the gospel that he gave us. Okay, so what should our next step be? Well, as we're reading through this, uh, it's, it's worth noting that in Paul's allegorical use of these historical facts of Hagar and Sarah, that Hagar and Ishmael are made to leave. Okay, as we read through that passage, we see that they are made to leave. Their influence has now been removed, okay, because they were not of God's promise. So could it be that Paul was encouraging the Galatians to then cast out these false teachers, the Judaizers, wanting, wanting, that, or wanting to put them back into the bondage of Ishmael or legalism? Is he try, basically trying to encourage them? Listen, Abraham had to then send these ones out because they were not of the promise. He had to send uh, uh, Hagar and Ishmael out. They were not of the promise. And so these people who are coming in preaching you these false gospels, they need to be cast out. So uh, I think that's what, what Paul is kind of trying to do here is encourage them. Listen, this is what it has to be. Okay, they, I'm sure at some point the, the, the Judaizers and the people here, the Galatians, have probably formed some kind of relationship with these people. Maybe they were friends or whatever it might be. God's telling them, listen, it doesn't matter. If they're bringing you this false gospel, they're being these false teachers, you got to get them out. Okay? They can't be around. you got to get rid of these, these bad influences because now they're going back into the bondage of legalism. So again, it's important to note that legalism is not the setting of spiritual standards or convictions. Okay? Again, the law, if you want to look at it that way, it's not just setting those spiritual standards or convictions. It's, it's, it's fine to have that. Those aren't bad things to have. But when we start worshiping these standards and believing that we are holy because we obey them, now we're starting to get away from the gospel and going into legalism, these false gospels, uh, these false teachings. And if we're doing that, then really what we're doing is we're giving ourselves back to those things that we were once slaves to, our, our old ways, our sinful ways. We're, we're really taking our focus away from what we talked about at the beginning. We're drawing away our attention away from grace. Remember that the gospel is God's grace on display. So again, it's important to remember that those, those standards of convictions are not bad things to have. But at the same time, again, don't think that we are holy because we have those, but also don't hold other people to those standards unless they're standards that we see here in the gospel. Because if we start looking at somebody else and judging them, well, you don't do this, all right? I, you know, I do this better than you do. Who cares? So what? It's, if it's not in the gospel, it doesn't matter, right? So it's important to remember that it's, it's not just having those spiritual standards or convictions, but worshiping them and believing that we are holy because of them. That's when things start to turn bad, all right? So Paul's call is to realize that holiness comes only through Christ. So we've seen, as we've gone through this chapter, we've seen Paul's plea. We've seen him, him express concern for the Galatian people, right? He's, he's concerned that the time that he spent with them before, and maybe even the letter that he's writing now, if he thought that the time before was potentially spent in vain, as he's writing this, he might have, you know, had those thoughts come in his mind. If, am I spending this time writing this letter? Is this just a waste of my time? Um, so we see his concern for the Galatians, and then we also see his call for them, and his call is to realize that holiness comes only through Christ, and that they, they don't go back uh, to and that the call for the believers to not go back but remove whatever is misleading them and trust in the true gospel. So something that kind of comes to mind is, I guess, one of those, uh, I guess you want to call them icebreaker questions, kind of uh, like when you're in school and you, you get split up into small groups or whatever, 
Small groups are the worst thing in the world in school, right? The wor- I don't think, does anybody actually like breaking up into groups and doing group projects? No, nobody ever pulls their weight equally. It, it's a mess. But anyway, one of like the icebreaker things that you have to do when you're, when you're doing those is, you know, you ask questions to these different people just to kind of get a better understanding, get to know them better. Okay, these kind of get-to-know-you icebreakers, um, which, again, not a huge fan of, right? But one, one that somebody might ask is, if you could go back in time and, you know, relive your childhood or something like that, would you do it? Now, I'm sure some of us might think, okay, I had a pretty good childhood. You know, there's a lot of good memories. Some of us, some of us that's not the case. But some of us, maybe we had a good childhood, a lot of good memories. It'd be nice to be able to go back and kind of see those things again. But if it meant to have to go back and, like, literally relive childhood again. For me, it's an easy no. Why? Because I got to go through school all over again. Got to deal with the group projects all over again. Right? I don't want to do that again. So why would I want to go back? Yes, okay, I can be thankful for that. I can be thankful for what I learned along the way in those different areas. But why would I want to go back to that? Why would I want to go back away from what I am now or where I'm at now and all the things that I've learned and I, I know what it's like now. Yes, that was great, but I'm, I, I'm fine with it being there. Okay? Why would we want to do that? And that's really what's happening here is Paul's saying you've experienced that true freedom, that true relationship with the one true God, okay? Before you worship gods that aren't even gods, aren't even real. Now you've experienced and you've gotten to know the one true God and his true gospel. Why in the world would you want to turn away from that and go back to your old ways of those fruitless and empty ways of worshiping gods that don't even exist? And so that's what Paul's plea here is for them. And God's plea is really, and his concern for us today is the same thing. Why would we want to go back to our old ways? Okay, when, uh, a few weeks ago, uh, yeah, I guess it was a few weeks ago, we had our, our teen game day. And basically we, we came, we had a bunch of different activities, inflatables, all kinds of stuff going on. Um, but the devotional that I shared with the teens that day was... Uh, basically talking about how true joy, true happiness, and true freedom only comes through Christ and the gospel, kind of like what we've been talking about today and as we've gone through Galatians. But the example that I used is that I, I'm a big fan of sports, love sports, all kinds of sports, whatever it is, especially if it's like a do-or-die situation, like loser goes home, I'm in. Even if it's like cricket, don't understand what is going on, I'm going to watch if one of these teams has to go home if they lose. But I love sports, right? I love watching sports, playing sports, all these different things. Doing that, you know, kind of makes me happy. But if, if, that, if God wasn't in my life, Christ wasn't in my life, and I was only trying to seek happiness through those things, that's, that's not always going to be there, right? It's, it's fleeting. It, it's, it's not permanent. And the example that I was able to use was that it looked like for a while we weren't going to have a baseball season this year, right? They had a lockout. And if I was trying to find my joy and happiness in baseball— I was out of luck because they weren't going to have a season. Thankfully, now they are. But the point of the fact was, that was a perfect example about how things in this world, whether it be, again, finances, relationships, friends, whatever it is, they're not always going to be there. We can, put our, we can try and find happiness in them, and we might get happiness, might get some kind of joy or you know, just fun experience in it, but it's, it's going to be fleeting. It's not going to last. 
But the true freedom, the true joy and happiness that, that God wants us to have is through him only and not through these other things. So if we start to try and go back to these different things that, that might bring us happiness, uh, then, again, we're turning our back on him. But also if we go back and we're, we go to the infant ways of just taking the law, as the Judaizers were teaching, taking the law and adding it to the gospel, confusing the, the Galatians, then we're doing the same thing. If we start adding things to the gospel, we are now adding these stipulations and then taking the focus away and really taking away the fact that the gospel is God's grace on display. So, uh, again, God's plea and concern and call for us today is the same, that we will not go back but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, as he says in in 2 Peter 3.18, that we would continue to grow, that we would continue to go forward. Right? At the beginning, we said that the Galatians, they weren't just stagnant in their faith. In fact, they were regressing. They were going backwards. Now, being stagnant, I guess, would be a step up from what they were doing instead of going backwards. But the goal and the purpose is to continue to grow in Christ, continue to, to seek him each and every day and grow closer to him, spend that regular time with him in his word and in, in prayer so that when we come to these different things in our lives, we come to these temptations, these decisions that we have to make, we are not distracted by the things around us. We're able to recognize right away, okay, this is not God's will. This is not the truth of the gospel. This is not what the Bible says. I need to get this out of my life. All right. So as we, as we close and as we go into a time of invitation, uh, I pray that you would, you would uh, I guess that we would all take a step back and look in our lives. Is there something that I'm adding to the gospel? Is there something that I'm allowing to distract me away from the truth of the gospel? So uh, let's go ahead and all bow our heads and close our eyes. Uh, the band's going to come and lead us in a time of invitation. But as we go into prayer, uh, just ask God to maybe reveal anything in, in your heart, in, in your life that might be hindering you, that you might be adding to the gospel, that you might be taking away from the grace of God that's on display in the truth of the gospel. God, I thank you for this morning once again and just for bringing us all here today and uh, just allowing us to be able to go into your word and just another reminder of the gospel that we've, been, that we've seen in your word, that we've been taught and that we've put our faith and trust into God. And so I pray for those of us here who have accepted the gospel, who have accepted that gift of salvation, that we would not uh, begin to add stipulations to the gospel, God, especially when we're sharing it with those around us, because that's just going to add confusion. I pray that we would, when we preach the gospel to the world around us, that we would preach the gospel that we read in your word, that we would not add anything to it, that we would not look, out, look down on somebody who, who might do things differently than us, because as long as, as they are following after your word, and as long as what they're doing doesn't go against your will and your word, God, then we have no reason to say anything. We have no reason to call them out at all, God. So I pray that as we share the, the gospel with those around us, that we would make sure that we are sharing the one true gospel, that we aren't adding things to it, we aren't taking things away, God. But for those of us who, he, who are here who may, maybe haven't accepted the truth of the gospel, maybe haven't made that decision to put our faith and trust in you, I pray that, we would under, that they would understand what your gospel is, what it means, God. The sacrifice that you made when you sent your son to die on a cross for us. And so that when we put our faith and trust in what he did on the cross, when you look at us, you no longer see our sin, but you see what he did on the cross, fulfilling the sacrifice and the punishment that, that, that had to be made for our sin, God. So I pray that you would just, just be with us in that. And so God, I pray as we go into this time of invitation that once again, you would just reveal to us anything that we might be struggling with right now when it comes to maybe adding things to the gospel 
or ignoring the truth of the gospel, God, or maybe being distracted by things around us from, from what the gospel is. And I pray that, that you would just remind us of the amazing change and difference that came in our life when we put our faith and trust in what Christ did on the cross, God, and that we would be able to once again hold on to and just, just hold on to the fact and cherish the fact that we can call ourselves sons and daughters of God. So I pray that you bless this time of invitation and uh, just, allow, just lead us as we go today. Pray everything in Jesus' name. Amen.